Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. I invite you to go ahead and turn to Galatians 2. Uh, We'll read it in just uh, this portion in a moment. Um, So uh, Pastor Mike and myself, to say that we're preachers would be a portion of the truth. To say that we are pastors would be more clear. Meaning this, a preacher can travel and move and preach. A pastor... Um, various gifts in that, but in the preaching the word, it's bringing God's word, hopefully to unpack it clearly, but to God's people. Can I give you a hug? Yeah. I just... There's just, uh, this week, um, it's because what a local church is. It's not just preaching, it's bringing God's word to God's people. So we've experienced some pretty serious loss this week. Uh, those that, now Charlie wasn't formally part of this church, but Charlie was down there at Lakeview all the time, big fan. And we did 21 days of prayer at 6 a.m. in the morning, man, he was here. He was an advocate, you know, just, uh, and I don't know how we speak of the loss of Bob Heiser. It's just done. So I started the Sawyer service down there, and you know who's sitting in the center aisle in her wheelchair, who's had MS for so many years and can't move. She, she can't hardly swallow. She can't feed herself. She can't move a limb. Is Wendy Kaler, our youth pastor's mom. Bob put a kitchen in for her and put a bathroom in for her, all free. This guy served like Jesus. He had a heart of Jesus. And there's some deal when we serve alongside people, you just know it. You just know it. Okay, pause for a second. These are unprepared remarks. We're going to come into the gospel, but what I'm speaking of is right here to the church. Mike already did this so well to start. But it's where the gospel lands in us. So I want to think of it locally and globally here, just as we prepare for this. Um, You guys, you prayed for Bob and Rhonda. Many of you received the text back. Uh, Both Pastor Mike and I had opportunities to visit them in, these, in this last little bit. But I want to tell you everything you heard in the text, you saw in the text, it was real. I, the things that Rhonda said were, I hope this, I say this, okay, were un-Rhonda-like. She's so matter-of-fact, but she, it, was, it was like God-like. She spoke of the, the peace they had. They knew that Bob's on the threshold, God might call him to eternity, and God could heal him. And they walked that through for quite a season not knowing which one it will be. But both of them spoke with this way. He's given us peace. That is not human, friends. That's God in a person. That is the very gospel that we're going to walk into today. That's how, that's, it's how it got lived out. And those of us that knew around that, we could tell stories of each of them for such a long time. But that's, that's what that was. She said at one point to me, said, I... Um, I'm praying, I have a hard time praying, but I'm carried by the prayers of God's people. I, I know it, I, I, I feel it, I, I know it, and it was true. It was true. 
So Thursday when I saw him, she called me. I went in because um, I thought this might be the last lucid time you have with him. We had a wonderful conversation. Alan's in the room. Um, he's got the mask on, and I'm reading scriptures. I just say, Bob, don't, don't say anything because it's just hard to breathe. So I, I read uh, Moses' Psalms at 90, read uh, the prayer, the first prayer in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Amen. Amen. I mean, just, it was like, it was, it was sheer worship. And he knew I could be home in glory today. God might give me more. That's what Barb knew too. That's what happens when, the, when in God's people, when the gospel actually takes root in your life. It's not a head thing only. It's not confined. It's all of being. It just is. Okay, so globally, we got this crazy thing going on where Russia invades Ukraine. So some, some of you know the work I do internationally. I do these workshops. Um, mostly I'm in Central Asia, but I've been in Ukraine three times, done two workshops there. I know, I know pastors well. I was in Kiev in the fall. The, the, this this uh, capital, the center place that's being bombed. I want to read you the psalm that one of the pastors sent Friday or Saturday. City being bombed, pastor trying to pastor God's people. This is Psalm 52 if you read it later. It's only nine verses. <clears throat> so think of the events. Why am I reading this? Because it expresses at the same time one who understands the gospel, one who understands God and God's steadfast love, how we live in crazy times. So we get Bob and Rhonda right here. Psalm 52. A whole different expression of this. Why do you boast of evil, almighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O oh, deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction? But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. And I will thank you forever because you have done it and I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Amen? He wrote that out. We got an encrypted app, all these guys all over the globe praying for him. They write stuff. That's what Pastor Andre writes from that city. Friends, we all have different things that go on. But I want you, so our prayer today is we walk in, I just, we want to understand it as well as we can. We want it to grow in our life. So it's not like this formula. If I just know this formula, say these words, now I'm in. That is such a truncated version of the gospel, and it, it's nothing of what Jesus preached. And Paul's making it clear today. That's, that's our prayer for all of us. So can I just, can I pray, and then we'll, we'll start here. Father, we're submitted before you in all the events, both locally and globally. You reign. You reign. Lord, let your 
kingdom come, let your will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. Let it be so in our lives, our our day-to-day, just like it is in heaven, God. You have us here, some listening online. Father, you have us here, so let your word have its way. We ask that. We want to be open to it. We want your spirit to work that way in us. And thank you for how you choose to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I couldn't just jump in and preach in this text, but all those events fit this text, or this text fits those. So I'll probably go a little bit of rapid speed. There's a lot of things in this worth thinking about here. Um, The title, if you have it there, actually, uh, we discuss all these things as pastors on Monday mornings. This is uh, part of Mike's expression that I thought was very helpful. Justification by faith brings life. Justification by performance and the law brings death. I'm pretty sure this is the first time in Galatians you're going to see that death and life metaphor coming through. Uh, later on, you're going to see slave and free um, and, and uh, promise and duty, but this, the life and death is very helpful to think through. So as we've been preaching this, well, actually, some months ago when we're studying it, as uh, pastors, we, looked at, we think this is the melodic line. This is the, kind of the big theme that you'll see from beginning to end. It's this call to return to the gospel of grace so that you can walk in freedom with the Spirit. It's a call to return. You've drifted. The gospel of grace is magnificent. Return to that so you can live it out, so you can walk it out. It's a freedom in doing that. Of course, when he gets to freedom, he's not describing that uh, freedom as Americans do. It's free to do whatever I want. It's a, it's a freedom in Christ, essentially, to not be enslaved to a, a life of self-rule, but a life of loving others as we've been loved is essentially it. But that's, that's our phrase. Um, previously, so I'm going to read in a moment, the key phrase from last week uh, that we thought about it, and, and we, um, I kind of gave a lot of different examples applicationally. Um, so we're at this spot in the book where he wants to make the gospel very clear. He wants to show this is from God, not from man. And he, he point, pointed out an actual story that had happened where Peter missed it. And what he, what he said there is Peter's conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. That was a phrase. That is chapter 2, verse 14. That is really worth thinking about. So we've thought about it. I spent a, a, a bit of time in application. How might my conduct not be in step with the gospel? How might my prayers not be in step with the truth of the gospel? How about my attitude towards others? We, we talked about a lot of ways that might be. In fact, I'm going to be with a group of guys tonight. We're going to uh, just even share from ourselves, confessionally and helpfully, what God has um, put to us that. And here's the deal. <clears throat> That's what happened to Peter. And Paul called him out. If it happened to Peter, it can certainly happen to us, right? That's kind of how we thought about that last week. So that has just taken place before what we're going to read today. So this particular section now is that nugget that clarifies the gospel. It distinguishes the gospel of grace from a performance-based religion. It's a huge. So some of you know this. This this section right here, it was revolutionary to the God-fearing monk 
Martin Luther, who tried everything he could to ease his guilt, to try to become holy. It was his study of this in the original languages. It just exploded in his life. He wanted the church to reform because they were trusting other things. It didn't go that way. But it was these passages in particular. And I would recommend to you a, a great biography by Eric McTaxis. Uh, he's written one on Bonhoeffer, the one on Luther's fantastic um, Anyway, I, I would recommend that in, in terms of reading. <clears throat> All right, flow of thought before we read. So I've kind of got this broken down. I don't know what you did in the class that I should. I, I think Joe did that in his class up there. But here's kind of the, um, the flow of thought. Sometimes we say the structure. First of all, he's going to make very clear. I don't have this on an outline, but they'll come up one by one. Um, we are justified solely by faith in Jesus. That's it. Secondly, does a believing person's sin disprove Christ's work on the cross? I think that's verses 17 18. And then he ends with this. The, he, he speaks about the death that brings life. Actually, we sang about this. What it means to be joined to Christ, which actually has new creation in it. Um, so it's this, I would say this is a really dense section. There's a lot here. Uh, you'll listen to this sermon or not. You'll be, we'll be listening to it. There'll be much more that's worth thinking through on this. So I'm actually grateful there's a women's Bible study that goes through the, this also. I'm grateful for the class ahead of time. But, you know, whoever's preaching, we get to study this text all week long. I'm not done thinking about this, and particularly the conclusion. So I hope to provoke you that way in the very end of this. All right. Introduction. Let's read now. I'm going to pick up the reading at verse 14. Um, this first part of it is still really Paul's, I think Paul's still speaking to Peter. But as he does so, he's, he's clarifying, this is what the gospel is, and this is what it does. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or to Peter, I said before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? But we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Father, again, help us to receive your word today. Give our minds understanding Awaken our hearts, and Lord, give us the courage to follow you in whatever you call. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that speaks and works and illuminates Jesus. Amen.
Okay. <clears throat> so this is a this is a really dense uh, scripture. I'm going to try to unpack it a bit. Uh, once again, I feel like this is one of the ones. Oh, in contrast, last week last week was not complicated. Um, this one is more so. So if you ever go like, man, you talk too fast, or I would like some notes, just email the office. Sonia would be glad to send them to you. And then you go, that's not what you said. No, don't. But I won't tell you exactly what I said, but it'll help, maybe. At least I asked you, you could do it. I guess that's all. Okay. What's the, let me just summarize. What's the main issue here, the main idea that's going on? So I'm, I'm simplifying his language, breaking it down into us, but it's simply this. How does a person come into a right relationship with a holy God? Is it by proving that I am good? See, within the Jewish mindset, that was kind of, there was this kind of underlying question here. So let me say it another way. Does salvation depend upon what I must do, or does it depend on what God does? So where he concludes this, as you'll see, it is all Christ, and we attach ourselves completely and only to Jesus. That's the by faith part. Let me say it again. It's all Christ. And we attach ourselves completely and only to Jesus, which results in a number of things. One, it results in the death of self-rule. I'll describe more things than just that. But there's a death in that, while at the same time receiving the life of the Holy Spirit, a new creation, which, friends, that's way more than a ticket to heaven. Some people think of salvation like that. That, is, that would be a inappropriate wrong thinking. It's much bigger. So hopefully as we walk through the text, we'll, we'll see that. So that I just kind of covered a few. Now this first, so the flow of thought, the first thing. We are justified solely by faith in Christ. Verses 15 and 16, let me read it again. And I think he is um, speaking to Peter, but it goes to the church. So here's what he says in confronting Peter. <clears throat> we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So let me, what he is unpacking for us in a sense is the, I'll use the I'm going to use a theological term, the doctrine of justification by faith. How many have heard that term before? Okay, a lot of us have heard it. Some of us are used to using it. Some of us aren't. Simply, it's, <clears throat> let me say it this way, trying to keep the law will not make you right before a holy God. He says, I think he says it three times, works cannot justify you. Now I'm going to define that term justify in a little bit. He's saying this in this whole discussion. He said, this is true even for the Jew. We Jews know this. The Jews who had the law way back from Moses, they have it. The Gentiles didn't. He said, we even know that we're justified by faith, solely by faith in Christ. So now for us to make a matter of the term I get, at this point in the development of, of um, the birth of Christianity, it's not only foundational, this is a whole paradigm shift for anybody that had a Jewish mindset. 
They had approached God. Here's the law. I want to do the law. I want to keep the law. Here's what God says. If you do this, I'll bless you. If you, if you don't, I'll, I'll punish you. It's like they, they saw their relationship with God in terms of doing things. And that's not it. In fact, it was part of the problem of the Pharisees. So what I want to do now in the next moments, I want to define the term to be justified, justification, and then define the problem a little bit. So if you're taking notes, I, I, didn't, I should have put this one up here, Thad, I didn't, but this would be a good one. Here's the phrase to be justified simply means to be counted righteous or declared righteous by faith in Christ alone. Understand it that way. Now I'm going to use some examples of what I just said. It's to be counted righteous or declared righteous by faith in Christ alone. So it's actually a legal term. So here's what's happened for all who have repented and by faith believe in Jesus, submitted their lives to him. Here's what's actually happened. A declaration has been made about you. That declaration is you are not guilty. You are free. So here's what I want you to imagine. I'm going to go through a couple steps of this. I want you to imagine a court scene. You are the accused, and you are actually guilty of all the crimes or deeds that you're accused of. You are guilty of them. It's not a jury trial. There's one judge. It's God. And that judge, you're guilty of them. Justified is what happens in terms of the cross and believing by faith in Christ. So the judge, because of that, declares you not guilty. You are free. What would happen to you? What would you do in such a thing? You'd be jumping up and down. You'd run it. When you, when you, got, you, would, you would be going crazy. It's amazing what God has done. We, we dumb it down. We don't let the, the fullness of that fit into us. But can I just tell you? That's only part of it. There's more. Yes, you've been declared not guilty. Something has been removed from you. But that's not all the justification is. Something has been added to you. You're declared righteous. That is, God transfers the holiness, the righteousness of Christ to you. So maybe a better way to imagine that would not be simply a court of law, but uh, think of banking or accounting, okay? You're looking at your bank account right now. Stink, there is no money in it. Worse than no money. For some reason, there's this debit side, the debt side. You have, you owe, you have, you owe billions of dollars of money. You got no hope, unless somebody's doing something I don't know. I think I'm looking at this, I think I know most of you. You got no hope of paying this in your lifetime. A life, billions of dollars of money. That's what you owe. That, when you look at a bank, that's it. Here's what he says is, not get, that is gone. It's expunged from the record. And he's put billions of dollars in your account. We are declared righteous. It's not ours. It's his. It didn't come from anything we've done. We, cannot, we do not deserve it. We cannot deserve it. So, so just the forgiveness of the debt is immense. So we should go, I'm free. But it's bigger than that. To be declared righteous is, that's how God sees us. So follow this. Was Jesus holy? Not rhetorical. Was Jesus holy? Okay, he was. 
So if God says that's put in your account, how does he see you? That's stunning, isn't it? We should go like, I can't, I'm amazed at God. I, I can't believe what he's done. But there's more. Now that was justification. But he go, as he goes on through this letter, what he's going to say in chapter 4, he's not only justified you, he's made you his daughters and sons. You are not simply forgiven your, your bank account, your righteousness of Christ. It's not simply that. that that's kind of like a legal standing before him. I mean, fine. Now he wants a relationship with you. We're sons and daughters of the king. That's chapter 4. He says, you're not slaves. So we'll get there. But that would be amazing, wouldn't it, to understand that? Do you know that's not all? God, what are you doing? It's overabundant, your grace. It is. Yep. And then he goes on and says in chapter 5, not only is he made us sons and daughters, but he has put his Holy Spirit, his spirit inside of us. That spirit is what, it's what changes us. That's what goes on. That's where he talks about the fruit of the spirit, the deeds of flesh. That's where that all comes out. So that in, by giving us his spirit, we are not only his sons and daughters wanting a relationship with us, but by his spirit within, there's an intimacy there. He wants to walk with us by his Holy Spirit, with a Holy Spirit power, a Holy Spirit energy to display his glory. That is way more than a ticket to heaven, friends. That's beyond what most people think of when they go to church. That's immense. That's the gospel. And all of that until he calls us home. Amen? Let us think well about that. That's, what, that's why he's so impassioned about You've drifted from this. He's calling them back. And this performance-based religion, it's not just a distortion of the gospel. To believe in that, to depend on performance that way, to think that's where it is, it actually, there's actually eternal peril possible there. So let me say this. That happens for religious people. It's not people who are not informed. It's people who are theistic, that believe there's a Jesus. Okay, that, that's but they can depend on the wrong things. That's why he's so impassioned in what he says. So we should hear it that way. What do you depend on? What do you rejoice in? Where's your life tipped and oriented? Now let me just say this. I think I said a couple weeks ago. We all have a little Pharisee in us. We're all recovering Pharisees in some way. We all have a tendency for this. So I think just us asking the Lord where this is in me and keep asking is a good thing. All right. So that was defining justification. I want to define the problem briefly of a, what I call a works-based religion um, or a performance-based religion. There's a couple problems. I think I'll just do this right here. I won't call anybody up. Maybe I'll call somebody up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for three volunteers, and you don't even get a chance to raise your hand. Where are you going? <laughs> Hurry back, you're number three. <laughs> and don't come back with your son and think that takes you off the hook, Matt. All right, so I, wanna, I just want to think through what a performance-based religion, because one of the problems is this, okay? If I'm thinking my standing before God is based on what I do, how do you know you've ever done enough? That's one problem. The second one is it's impossible, Okay?
Thatcher. Next one? Huh? Did I say next one? You said that to me. Thatcher. Can you come on up here? Can you? Awesome. Thank you. I knew, I knew he'd say yes. Shane, can you come on up here? See, I didn't know Shane would, but I called you up first. Because you know what? I know what I knew. He knew if someone smaller than him was coming up, he'd come up too. So excellent. Thank you. Daniel, come on up. I still pick someone smaller than Daniel. So. Why don't you step over here? Okay. I'm going to turn my mic off. Okay, what I want to illustrate is this aspect of performance-based religion. It's got a couple problems. One is this. How do you know that you've done enough? It's a holy God. How, how can you do enough? You can't. You can't know. Also, it's impossible. So you can't tell it. These guys look like they're standing on the edge of a, of a, on this platform. They're actually not. Here's what I want you to imagine. They're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Okay. And I already, I told him a bunch of money, so I told him, if you jump across it, I'm giving you a lot of money. We're going to try to jump across the Grand Canyon. Shane, I'll do you first because you're in the middle. So here's Shane. So, you know, he looks at the other guys, go like, pretty strong. Let's look at the other guys. I bet I can jump. I bet I can do this. So he takes his jump. Go ahead and just take a step out here. It's good. So he jumps. What happens to him when he jumps this far? Boom. Done. Daniel goes like, I can do better than that. <laughs> I'm looking at this. I don't even know if I need to get a running start. But I can jump way better than Shane. So Daniel takes his jump. He jumps off and he gets, <laughs> he gets twice as far as Shane. That's amazing. We all applaud, right? Because his end is, it's the same end, right? Can't do it. Here's that. You're going like, these guys, they didn't take a running start. What, what are you thinking about, man? They haven't seen me in track. They don't know what my coach has been doing with me. So he's, you, you got this. I know you got, he's got a Thatcher. He's got a running start. He's gone. He's gone. He makes it even over some bowlers. He's out there. Put your hands up. Because you're going, which way are you going now after you jump? There, see, there's a problem. There's a problem. Gravity. Did you jump farther than Daniel? Yeah. You did. Did you jump farther than Shane? Uh, yeah. You did. But guess what? You all fall short. Doesn't matter. You all fell short. It's Grand Canyon. I jumped over a you did. I know. Exactly. You jumped over a boulder. It didn't matter because you still fell short of making it across. Oh, you Grand Canyon, it's a lot farther than you can jump. <laughs> oh, hang on. Sorry, I, I pulled up a minor. Don't try this at home, okay? Thank you. All right, you guys can sit down. Thank you. Maybe you'll remember this. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe you remember it, because here's what, the, what that simply illustrates is what Paul's saying in Romans 3, what he actually says here, okay? We all fall short. So the Jew-Gentile thing, what's going on here, he's kind of going like, he recognizes... I'm a sinner too. I got the law. We're sinners too, like the Gentile sinners. That's what he's saying. The problem in our culture is we measure ourselves against someone else. Dude, I'm not as bad as them. 
I'm, I'm much better than them. We fall short, friends. So in the Grand Canyon illustration, gravity is just a thing. That's a problem. Sin is just a thing. Jesus is never going and saying, hey, are you better than that guy? Never, ever. In fact, tangent, but the whole parable of the log and the speck is that. Is we're, we're supposed to be paying attention right here. And Thatcher, thanks for playing along. Dan, uh, Dan, have a conversation with him so he doesn't actually do this. I'm, I'm a little worried about that part. <laughs> but, you know, so in that illustration, he's jumping way far. The end is still the same. It doesn't matter how much further, right? And, and in a sense, that's what he, he's getting here with, with this. That's a problem of a works-based religion. Here's his point, friends. We are declared righteous solely by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Amen? That is it. It's not a small deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal because of Jesus. It's a big deal because of what we're depending on. And I'm telling you, you ask the average person, and it might even be average churchgoer, do you think you're going to heaven if they say yes? How many of them, and you ask them why, how many of them would think or say it's because I've been pretty good? I want to tell you that is gospel-less, distorted gospel that has eternal peril. It's common thinking. Now, let me just pause this. I think it's chapter 3, might even be next week, where he gets us into not just how we are saved, but how our relationship with God grows. That's actually the doctrine of sanctification. We have the same problem there that we think in that. But I won't go down that road. Chapter 3 is that. But this whole performance-based part in our standing before God, it's just deeply embedded to us. And I wanted to show the, how preposterous it is for us to think this, but the beauty of the fact he's declared us righteous. He's done that. We are forgiven. It's Jesus. He'll, he makes us sons and daughters and puts his, our, his spirit in us. I mean, that is just... We could grasp this every morning. We'd be flying. The, the, the troubles we encounter, the person who says the snide thing in email to us, the thing we've got to deal with at work, it won't matter because we know how we're loved by Jesus, but that's actually verse 20 here. I'll wait till I get there. All right, number two. What if I discover that I still sin? Does that invalidate Christ's death? Okay, justified by faith. But do I still sin? Here it is, I'm going to read it. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor of the law. So if I find out that I still act in sin, I'm just like the Gentile sinner in that logic. It, and it does not disprove Christ's work of righteousness it does, nor does it make him a promoter of sin. It only proves this, friends. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That's it. That's his point. Both Jew and Gentile, they need a Savior. And trying to rebuild then, you can have the truth, yet try to rebuild a performance-based righteousness. It only proves that I'm a transgressor. That's all it does. Now, I'm going to give you a little tangent thought, which might be someone's question. I think he answers this in chapter 3. I think Romans answers it. Someone might say, well, what was the purpose of the law then? Why did he ever give it? 
So we'll get there in chapter three, but basically he says this, because when you have the law, have the standard, it reveals sin and also your need of a savior. You wouldn't know it if you didn't have this out here clear. And in that, like our illustration, it, it, it shows me if I understand it, it's impossible for me to attain this righteousness on my own. And friends, that was the Pharisees, the center of their problem. To think, to trust in performance-based religion makes a form of religion. So here's what happens. You look good in the outside, but inside it's rotten. So some of us have been around that. We've grown up around that. To think it's based on, I look good on the outside, but not on the inside. So when there's criticism, there's hypocrites in the church. Yeah, but that's because we struggle with that fact. And we're not paying attention here. So the whole Sermon on the Mount, which by the way, we're going we're gonna to preach through Matthew after Galatians. I can't wait. I don't know. It might take us 12 years. I don't know. Um, but the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, you know, he, he talks about this very issue to them. You've heard it said, you do this on the outside, but it's, it's on the inside. So what's he deal with? He deals with um, lust. He says, um, oh, you've heard, don't commit adultery. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not committing adultery. It looks good on the outside, but in your heart, you lust after a woman. That's, that's sin. Murder. You've heard you say, I'm not murdering anybody. He goes like, if there's anger in your heart, that's sin. So you see what we've done? We go performance-based. We put these things out here. We don't see these things inside as sin. They are. Let me, let me ask this. Are, are those things, have God's holiness at their center? No way. They're far from him. There's all kinds of categories of this. So this is where the gospel of grace, so seeing that we sin should not be a scary thing, friends. That, that's the other thing. It should make more honest Christians. Why? Because I've been declared not guilty. <laughs> that's, that's what he did. Yeah, I sinned. It's not excusing sin. In fact, if you understand this well, you will fight sin harder because it has the glory of Jesus. You're, you, you'll, you'll care about this more. But it doesn't, dealing with it, it's not a scary thing because you're declared forgiven and you have his righteousness. It's freeing. That's, that's the book of Galatians. That's what he's He's laying out for them, for us, for the, for the church. All right. So the point is that both Jew and Gentiles are sinners in need of a savior. I'm going to give you another tangent question. I'm not sure this is a question for anybody here. We do have people that come in sometimes is. Here's a question. Can you keep a Jewish ceremony then? Is he saying those don't matter? So, I would just simply say this, that yes, you can. You have freedom to do that, but it matters what you're depending on. So there's some people, I don't know if you're aware of this, but they go to a real Jewish orientation even now. I, I know people in our community that do that, and they do depend on it for salvation. That's wrong. But this does not forbid, so it's take like the Passover. Have any of you ever been to a Passover Seder? Okay. So can we do that? Absolutely. So understanding this, the Jewish ceremonies we're portraying vividly, they're acting out God's dramatic works of salvation in the life of Israel. So to participate in something like that, knowing and that the fulfillment of Passover is here at the cross, which we then celebrate in terms of communion. 
So to participate in such a thing like that, is like, and, and I, would, I would say that based upon the fact that Paul, post-conversion, there were some Jewish things he still did, vows he made, I mean, things that he operated in, he's free to and free not to. But he's not depending on them for salvation. For some people, that's a question. It is a tangent. Okay, third and final point. This is, oh man, this is the death that brings life, that, that this part about being joined to Christ. So I'm going to read it. Um, if that first part is the doctrine of justification by faith, I would say this one, and there's some, I would memorize verse 20, by the way. If you remember nothing, just remember that. Um, but I think this is the doctrine, I'm going to just use a, a non-theological term. This is a doctrine of new life in Christ. New creation, regeneration, new birth. So let me read it again. 19 to 21. For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if, for if righteousness were, were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So here's what he says. <clears throat> Through the law, I realized I can't keep it. I realized I'm just like the godless sinners. He says, I died to the law so I could live towards God. That is, there is no life in trying to gain approval by the law. Understanding that, that departure from a performance-based approach can lead you to life. So I, I think Galatians 2.20 um, is one of the most profound verses in scripture. Um, I would recommend memorizing it and, and uh, phrase by phrase and thinking about it, and I will not do justice to it here today. But you're going to see the life and death terminology here. I actually, I remember where I was when I memorized this. I was at State University um, in the late 70s, and I just, it was awesome in terms of the challenges to my faith and what went on. I was walking, I had an eight o'clock cl math class. I don't know why I did that. Um, but I had a 30 minute walk across campus. And that was for me, one of the times when I memorized scripture the most. And it was phrase by phrase. And I remember this verse and what God did in my life and, and through some other ones at that time. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, how do I live it? I live it by faith in the Son of God. What's he like? I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Memorize that, Medit think about it, phrase by phrase. This is, this is new creation language. There's death to some things that brings life. In some ways, it's a picture of repentance. In some ways, it's, it's that which we live out in baptism. But this is a death to that performance base and the life in Christ. Died to the law. He says, I died to the law so I might live to God. This is multifaceted. I just want to think about some of the ways there's death in this. I died to achieving my own righteousness. There's a death a death to trusting in a performance-based approach to God. I died to self-reliance. All those things. Uh, later he says, I'm, verse 20, he says, I, I'm crucified with Christ. What's that mean? 
Think of Jesus' words in the Gospels where he said, if anyone must come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, every day, and follow me. There's a, there's a death in that. He says also, if, uh, if anyone wants to try to save his life, he'll lose it. If anyone loses it for my sake in the gospel, he'll find it. Being crucified with Christ, there's a death to self-will and following Jesus. There's a, a, a death where my sins, it's Colossians 2 language, are nailed with him. They are impaled at the cross. They are joined to him at the cross. So the penalty is paid for. They're gone and the power is broken. That's Romans language. Crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body and the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a death, there's a life. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You know, when we have baptism, it's a glorious thing around here. And baptism portrays the, the burial, the death, being joined to Christ and raised to new life. That's what's going on. That's what he does. So this new life, just as death is multifaceted, so is the life. Now, um, the end of this book, chapter 6, verse 15, when he uses the, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Oh, I died, he lives in me. He uses the term new creation there. I think that's a good one. I think we sang that, actually, the last from the 2 Corinthians 5. So here's what I want you to think of. I want you to think of the part of Christ in you. New life means, think of it, growing, changing. Um, sometimes I think we think Christianity in the wrong way. I, I think we think status. Um, got my driver's license here? I'm, I, I have a Michigan driver's license. I can show that for identity. It's a, it's a thing. Sometimes we think of Christianity like that. I am, ah, that's part of it, but it, that's too, um, that's like a moment in time. The gospel is, is written in a whole different way. It's, a, it's not just a moment. It's a journey. It's new life that grows, rebirth. So you grow, you change to become more like Jesus. That's how his Holy Spirit comes in you. That's what Galatians 2.20 is, is saying. It's a relationship with God Almighty. So you're walking with him. It's the mustard seed growing into this tree. Um, do you remember this in the book of Acts? Do you know Christians didn't call themselves Christians at first? Others did. Do you remember the word they used at first? Anybody? The way. The way. They saw this as it's a journey with God. That's what they saw. Whatever this is, someone else gave the term Christian later on. So when you think of Christianity, think of it as that. The way. It's a walk with God. It's not just this status symbol. I got, the, I got the light. I got the ticket to heaven. It's not that. It's a whole life of transformation. That's what he's saying here. The life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith as son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
walk with Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. So verse 21 is a logical conclusion. He says you can't nullify God's grace trying to achieve righteousness through the law as, as the aim. That would logically mean that Jesus died with no vain. Or he died in vain. So we went a little long. I'm going to put this quote up here. <clears throat> Anybody read uh, Eugene Peterson or know the book, The Message? Okay. Did you get one, Thad? I just wanted to put the way Eugene Peterson said verses 19 to 21. I, I think there's some things that are helpful. Go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think he gets the whole thing, but this is, this is helpful in some ways. He says, what actually, this is, this is a paraphrase of the verses. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identify myself completely with him. Indeed, I've been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see living is not mine, but it's lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going back to that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Amen? Amen. All right. Last couple thoughts, just how to think about this. <clears throat> you should end preaching and thinking about a passage like, all right, God, what do you want to do in me? So sometimes we call this the transformational intent. Sometimes I go, so what? I mean, so what's that mean? So it's this. First of all, the, the most important thing for us is to receive this good news, all that I've learned by faith in Christ alone. That's foundational. Receive it by faith in Christ alone. Secondly, I would say, seek to understand what it means to be joined in Christ in death and in life, this new creation. Seek to understand that. I would recommend, this will be the easiest step, memorize Galatians 2.20. Think about the phrase by phrase. It'll help you. Ask the Lord to help you, and it'd be great. So I'll leave you with these questions. So where are you in understanding the gospel of grace? So where are you in applying the gospel of grace to your life? Where are those gaps? What are you depending on, truly, for your standing before God? When you've died to self-reliance and put all your weight, all your trust in Jesus, it's going to show up in your life. It'll show up in your prayers. It'll show up in your worship. It'll show up in how you treat others, how you think of others. It's actually freeing to realize you've got nothing helpful to offer here and you don't need to because Jesus gave up his life for you. Do you actually believe that? Talk to him about that. Let that be a, a true repentance in your life. The last part, I just say, what does it mean to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself up for me? I think I said to you, beginning of last year. I want to grow in understanding, being loved by God. I think it changes a lot. It's not duty. It's that, this verse is packed with that. Um, 
And I'll say this before I pray. One of the beauties of being a pastor and preaching is these texts, man, God just hammering us with it in our life as we study it. And um, last couple of weeks, I found my prayers out loud to God just being really different. Um, I don't know how to describe it. I think things he impresses on me, whether it's a person, a particular situation, it comes at random. It's just all the time. Uh, and I would suggest you this it's about the most important thing you could do. Ask God to help you understand this gospel of grace and how your life might walk in step with it. And let him speak to you about the gaps in your life where it doesn't. And again, if God shows you, that's his kindness. It is not condemnation to you. You won't see it without his help. And sometimes the help of a brother or sister. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. We, even today, through, through friendship with a Bob and Rhonda, a Barb, through this gospel, we've been reminded of it again in many ways. I pray for each here and those who might be watching online, God, just simply this. You'd help us in the way we need to to receive what you have in this. Lord, I, I, I pray too that We'd receive it for ourselves and not think as we're often tempted. Oh, I wish such and such could have heard this. Lord, let not that thought, which might be a helpful thought, but let not that thought deter us from how deep we need to receive this. Thank you, Father, for what you'll do. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for Jesus. And it's that simple. That by faith, believe it in Christ alone. All this opens us up into a walk with you. That's what we want, not a ticket to heaven, but true righteousness, your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.